Hello and welcome to Lave Radio. Greetings and welcome to Lave Radio. Greetings, Commanders. Greetings, Commanders. The show that talks about the universe of Elite and the development of the computer game Elite 4, known as Elite Dangerous. And the fantastic community that surrounds it. Broadcast from the a place of nonsense and innuendo for forum dads. A self-contained podcast two hours long. Transmitting to every corner of the galaxy. It's even louder than me. The hottest show this side of Dizzo. The name of the place. Lave Radio. Lave Radio. Lave Radio. Lave Radio. Greetings, Commanders, and welcome to episode 406 of Lave Radio, the show about the universe of Elite and the fantastic community that surrounds it. I'm your host, Commander Shan, actually stationed Commander Shan today because there's been a coup because everyone else has gone off. So uh, there's been a coup and I've taken over the show. But anyway, so joining me in the, uh, where it is we are, uh, are our guests. We have a Commander Crash. Uh, Greetings, and again, without the mute. <laughs> and a Commander Yannick. Greetings, everyone. And also a Commander Matt Winston. And, and we're not going to be in-game, because, as I say, it, we, it's been a coup, so we're not, we're not doing that at all. In fact, the whole show is going to be something rather different this week. So we're, we're going to be doing a fireside chat about a few subjects a bit later on, just sort of chilling and hanging out. Um... So, anyway, we'll do some introductions, I think, because that's what people want and expect. So, uh, Crash, what have you been up to this week? Oh, busy, busy, as always. I, I Mainly, things around the house have been keeping me absolutely up to my neck in things. I think I've mentioned before we've got the exotic frogs downstairs. Well, I found out that they are officially... a male and female <laughs> so, exotic, frog. Hang on. exotic frogs it's like arrow poison arrow frogs are you going to like yeah they're, they're kind neighbors of. With them? yeah well you know they're, they're not not yet uh but they are they are moderately toxic you shouldn't be handling them really but so uh, no no licking them then no no i mean uh, i'm not sure if you'd uh yeah you know get any kind of negative effects or positive effects uh, we'll, well, we'll, we'll find try, out try it and let us know We'll do, we'll do. So, Yannick, what have you been up to this week? Uh, mostly just preparation for the uh, Passage to Andromeda expedition, which uh, my old chum, Mac Winston, is also on as well. Uh, but yeah, mostly just doing that, as you do. It's all kind of secret at the moment, but watch us. 
I was going to ask you about it. Obviously, I can't now. You can. No, you can. No, my preparation is secret. The expedition is not secret. <laughs> so I'm, I'm interested now. So what's what's the expedition's aim, other than being an expedition, of course, you know? But uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, uh, a lot of people probably know by now. My sort of calling card, as it was for expeditions, tends to be like historical based ones. But this is sort of like real life expeditions based around you know Apollo Eleven or whatever it might be in the real world of space exploration. This particular one is focused on the history of elite and the elite exploration community. So we're going to go all the way through from like the first elite game right through to elite dangerous and also add the sort of then milestones of like what the exploration community has actually achieved over the years. You know, Romeo, Zulu, Zulu going Sagittarius, a star distant worlds, so on and so forth. And it'll be fun. So sort of like an explorer's greatest hits, then, really. Kind of, yeah. That that sounds that sounds really cool. So, how long is it going to take? About three months, because we're really kind of pushing the boat out on this one. We're going to go from lay funnily enough, because that's where the first game starts. Uh, Colonia to Sagittarius, a star to Beagle Point, and then all the way back through the side of the galaxy to Star One. Uh, hence, passage to Andromeda, because that's the nearest star to Andromeda. So, yeah. Add a bit of mystery to it. A nice little Blake 7 reference in there for all you Blake heads. So when the planning is all done, I'm assuming this is open to everyone? Absolutely. Everybody can turn up. And that's like whether you be on PC and Horizons or Odyssey, or you be on Xbox or PlayStation, absolutely everybody is welcome. The more the merrier. Well, when you've done your planning and it's all ready to launch, um, let us know on Wave Radio and we'll give it a shout out and we'll... Uh, we, we might even sort of send Ben along just to give him something to do for three months. So, uh, so Mac, what have you been up to today or this week? Oh, well, um, well, since I last saw you all, I've got a new job. So, a, a um, real new job. A real new job, which was it's kind of scary because it's a tiny company. There's only two of us full time, and it's in the middle of well, with all the economic turmoil. It's but it's fun. It's something I had to do. So, yeah, I. I'm now doing uh, basically a little system level coding stuff, which is uh, for for real hardware projects. So yeah, it's it's all good fun. So I've been doing that this week, doing lots of writing, lots of C, which I haven't been paid to write C for a very long time. So that's been good fun. Um, but yeah, so you're a real startup then. Yeah, well, it's 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 not startup startup, but it's quite new. It is quite new. Um, but yeah, it is, it is slightly worrying, but yeah, we're kind of like, like a lot of the, we're quite, it's uh, sorry. So I don't, my office is now my home because the company's kind of distributed the, the other technical guy who's the other full-time guys in Wales. And there's somebody who does the business stuff on a part-time basis over in Luton and things like this. So yeah, we're, it's, it's all one of these newfangled, we do everything online type of type of companies so it's quite it's quite a change from the last the, the last job which was with a very very traditional it was development work for a very very traditional business so um yeah that, it's been that's quite that's, that's quite a brave thing to do in props or giving it a go really yeah to go from almost like a secure yeah job to all of a sudden it's just me and this other guy plus a couple yeah. of others yeah you know that's, that's that that's, that's a big step so yeah props to that it is a bit worrying, but we've got to get on. Other than that, we we um 
We actually, we, we've had some fun here locally recently. We had a ship called the Phoenix visit our local town, um, which is, uh, there's, we, we, we are, we're a seaside, or live in a seaside town. There's a big bay. And this tall ship called the Phoenix arrived, which has been in a lot of, uh, it's been a lot of movies and what have you, if you look it up on Wikipedia. And they were doing tours because they, they were just parked here for two days. Um, and I got to climb up the rigging. It was absolutely brilliant. I thought health and safety wouldn't allow that, but I actually got to climb up into the crow's nest of this thing. It was it was it was an enormous amount of fun, and I even got the, the the first mate even served me a cup of tea, which was pretty nice. And then, like the next day, another tall ship showed up. So we had two of them in the bay at once. I mean, it's, it's not often you see one, but to see two in the same place at the same time was was pretty amazing. So yeah, we we've had a. Unfortunately, the heat waves end well. Everybody in the UK will hate us because our heat wave it got up to twenty-seven degrees, which is really quite nice, especially when you can go swimming in the sea. So, who needs the Mediterranean? All right, I'm really jealous of your tall ship. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, a number of years a number of years ago, yeah. Mrs. Shan and I managed to get on the Winston Churchill, which is yeah. a small tall ship, and we sailed across the Channel in the tall ship as part of a crew. Oh, that's, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And um, Mr. Shan nearly gave me a heart attack for climbing up the rigging, rigging to adjust the sails in the middle of Force yeah. 8 at, eight at night. And she was like, yeah, I'll go up, I'll do it. And I was like, I've only married you for three months. You know, so. <laughs> I, was <saying laughs> but, to the, I was saying to the guy when we went up there, because we were standing there, even though it's calm, you could feel the motion a lot more. I said, I said, I bet this is a lot more exciting when, in, when the wind gets off. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because if the the force eight, it was quite it was like you see on Hornblower and these other sorts of shit yeah. like that. So it was quite dramatic, really. But oh, it's fantastic. I mean, b- both of us were, were were sailed, you know, smaller boats and yachts and stuff like that. But yeah, nothing like being on a tour ship. Amazing, amazing experience. So really jealous. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. It was it was the highlight of the summer, really, uh, to go do that. So yeah, it was awesome. But yeah, other than that, I'm just waiting uh, for the in-game stuff. I haven't actually been playing Elite. I've been playing a lot of StarCraft recently. I've been in real StarCraft sort of mood. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I think I'm saving my Elite energy for this this uh, expedition that Yannick mentioned because that's going to be a that's going to be a real. It's going to be like the uh, I, the first the first of Yannick's expeditions I did was the Minerva Centaurus expedition, which was. Um, that was quite a distance, and I think this is yeah. You know, it was because I also I also did some side trips, so I think this is going to be on the same kind of each week's worth of flying is going to be pretty good. Although things have changed, and we've got things like carriers, which is quite handy because there may there's probably going to be a week where I'm away, and I can just then park my ship on a carrier, and I won't get left behind, which is nice. So are you? I must admit, I'm really tempted to go on this expedition because I went on the the last distant worlds one and thoroughly yeah. enjoyed it. So I am tempted to go to go along and and see these places again. So you know, I'm really tempted with that. But so are you having a carrier that's sort of coming with you, or are you? Yeah, we do have an expedition carrier, and there's a couple of other sort of you know other carriers that are following along as well. So there's definitely plenty of room for people to park their ships. Well, you, you realise my carrier's not doing anything, so if people want to use my carrier. Awesome. That's support. Yeah, yeah we absolutely. know your carrier. 
<laughs> Shan's carrier, yes. Oh, dear. So what what have I been doing this week? I haven't actually played much Elite Talk, uh, much at all, because I just came back from holiday last week, and there's a ton of stuff to do. I, I don't know about you, but you go away for a week, and you seem to get four weeks' worth of clearing and sorting out having a week away. So that's been my, my time, really. Um, I've brought a drone, as I think I mentioned last week, to go on holiday in Scotland with, so I've been taking that out and planning waypoints and missions and stuff for it, So and trying to learn not to crash the thing, which fortunately I haven't so far. But So I've been out in the sun, enjoying the, enjoying the nice weather. It's been nice down here where I am. It hasn't been so hot as to melt you, but it's been sufficiently summery to be nice. So I haven't really done much game playing at all, really. Um, but yeah, keep me, keep me informed in this, um, in this expedition, because that's piqued my interest now. So, what have the devs said this week? Well, according to my the show notes, um, I didn't pick up much dev news um, this week, but uh, the one I did pick up is the um, Elite stream will be on Wednesday, so that's tomorrow, and apparently will be Guardian-focused. Um, what do you guys make of that? The first for everything, isn't it? I don't remember them doing that before. No, I mean, I don't know if that's something they've actually sat and gone through in a lot of detail i mean i know they've, they've mentioned it in a few places but i don't think they've ever had a, a stream focused around specifically that task i'm hoping they allude to what I'm, i can do with all these toxic jolly ranchers i've got to stash stuff on the carrier because i got a bunch of them and i'm like i don't want to sell them just yet i want to hold on to them because i feel like they're going to become more important soon did people decide what they were called that there's so many community names going around, and I think I just I, unclassified relic just ugh, it's just meh, you know. I, I I I like some of the funny ones, you know. There's relic and trellic and uh, I'm trying to think of some more Thar- thargian because it's you know a bit of both thargian relics. Wasn't there something about something to do with garlic? Garlics, <laughs> that's right. Gar- yes, that's right. Guardian relic, garlics. Yes, that yeah. was. Yeah, quite quite a few fun silly names out there. But, uh, so, do yeah. you think they'll go into the history of the Guardians because that's been fairly well documented, or do you think it will be we haven't seen the Guardians for a while, have we? No, no, wink, wink. I, 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 yeah, I hope they give something more to go on. I do feel like it's it's great that they've done the update thirteen stuff and they've kind of pushed everyone to start thinking about oh, what's coming next, what's coming next. That's very much the the, the train of thought with a lot of people, but. I do feel like everyone's kind of a bit stuck now. Like, what do we do with these things? <laughs> you know, like people have been sciencing their asses off for for a week, like for ages there, and it's like, right, well, what do we do next? What's, what's next? What are we missing? If it was me, I'd make them completely useless and have a good gig that people <laughs> storing them up. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I I don't mind grabbing. So I think the million credit thing. That's I don't mind that they're they're worth something and i could do something with them but i'm i'm hoping there's something more to it if not then well they're, they're free to a good home well i guess we'll touch on that uh, a bit later so I, i'm sure i've missed other development news other than the other than the elite stream so has anyone else picked anything up i have to be more but i don't know what no it's it's i've been kind of at a loop on a lot of it which is it's kind of nice in some ways because uh, i get the surprise just like everyone else now <laughs> But <laughs> I've not seen. Uh, they're they're all a bit tight lipped at the moment. I think they want people to discover things. 
So do you think there's, well, rhetorical question, of course there is, but do you think there's things people have missed out of what they're currently put in or have they yet to pull the trigger on the next phase? So it doesn't matter what we try, until they pull the trigger, it won't happen. Yeah, I mean, I sorry, go on. It's okay, no. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to think that they, they're holding it back and kind of, you know, stopping us from progressing. I'd like to think that it is open for us to find something, but I know we've kind of had those roadblocks before. So, I don't know, it's it's difficult to say at this stage. I, I, I just feel like there should have been more in Update 13 than what we've currently seen. It's all nice and all, it's, you know, it's a lovely little cutscene and everything, but I feel like that's... Not really enough to keep us going until update 14, so there's got to be something else there. Oh, yeah. Uh, see was my favourite bit, actually, to be fair. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they, most of them are probably on taking a well-deserved holiday. So I don't yeah. know what it's like at your places of work, but trying to get anything done quickly when most of the company is on holiday, it, you know, it's... Uh, so maybe they are waiting until it's back to, back to school for the Thargoids. Don't <laughs> It would be, but this, the fact that they're going to do a particular show based on the Guardians, it's like, it does look like they're probably trying to prime us for something new, at least along those lines. But as you say, this is going to be like a trigger moment for something else. But then again, it could already be in-game, and we just haven't noticed it. It wouldn't be the first time that that's actually happened. I suspect it'll be something to do with Rantar, firstly. Yeah. Um, Rantar, or the, the, other, the other Palin, isn't it, is involved in this. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe a CG or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I have to, I have to imagine that there's something coming with one of those, or maybe both of those engineers, or you know, you never know. There might be a competitive CG between the two, or so. Yeah, I, I suspect, I suspect there's something that has to be triggered before we see more. Yeah, hopefully we find it tomorrow. Fingers crossed. Maybe it'll mysteriously appear on Thursday. <laughs> so with um in-game events i've i've seen three and down has people been following these in-game events like mystery of the thargoids so, i mean sorry go on all right, so I, I basically i keep up with all this stuff from peter Wotherspoon's uh news broadcast <laughs> so, so so it's so if so if Wotherspoon hasn't done it yet i don't know about it so what's the, because uh, I, I love people, well, this means Galnet News, but it does always strike me as like the elite equivalent of GB News or Fox News or something, yeah. the way, doesn't it? Fair and balanced. It's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, not to have physical leanings, but you know, it's always, it's always got a, a, a humorous spin on it. Um, so, I mean, this is a thyroid, but I did have a brief read of it and it, to me, it seems like a summary of what we already know. Yeah, no, I like Wotherspoon's coverage. I mean, I oh, it's fantastic. The he, yeah, the way he, he sort of does it is that kind of, it's almost like a very old school kind of announcer's voice. It's excellent, yeah. Pate News, doesn't it? You know, like the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. With, with, a slight, with a slight Gloucestershire twang as well, which just makes it <laughs> all the most better. But, um, yeah, there's there's only limited things they can really put in a Galnet news article. To be fair, because they have to be, I'm just having a look at it on the website now. It's got to be sufficiently. It can't be so long that it's uncomfortable to read in the in-game Galnet news reader thing, uh, or take too long with the robotic voice which reads the news, so you don't have to. Um, so, 
Yeah, it's it's only going to be little snippets, I think, in in the in the news. So there's there's probably the, the codex, of course, is stuff full of stuff about the Thargoids, and I don't think there's really anything new in this that isn't already in the codex, other than the Proteus Wave stuff, which of course is completely brand new. Talking about the Proteus Wave, I don't remember the name of the guy who did it, the guy who yeeted himself from the neighbouring planet. I bet he's absolutely... I mentioned this in the chat the other week. I bet he's absolutely kicking himself that he didn't wait till after the thing had fired and there was that big green thing on the ground because I think that would have been quite interesting to illicitly visit. It would, would have been perfect to be just yeah. sat, sat there in the buggy waiting, <laughs> waiting I, for it to happen. <laughs> I, I, I have just been shamed in chat for forgetting the wonderful, talented Commander Beetle dude yes. who, who, is, uh, who is Pete's accomplice. Or is Pete her accomplice? I don't know which way around it is, but uh, yes. Props to Beetle Junior. So, uh, so you think Pete is the apprentice and Beetle Junior's <laughs> well, are you, are you mistress? That, that Beetle Junior is somehow the Palpatine figure, is like behind the scenes pulling this. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just asking. I'm just <laughs> asking the question. Theory there, Sha. <laughs> I'm, I'm just asking the question, you know, because the, there's the phrase behind every good man, and that you know. Oh, Beetlejuice is amazingly talented in many ways. I mean, think about it, not many people actually do like art and actually do like in-game podcasting as well. I mean, there's two quite distinctly different skills. So, props to her for that, definitely. Yeah, totally. I mean, to be fair, they they're an institution, yeah. really. And if if when when they ever start doing it, I think it will make the community significantly yes. less. Definitely. Yeah. And, and Beetlejuice did a lot of good work for Sagittarius Eye that was back when. Um, we got some got some really nice cover art because uh, w- when we were podcast only for a while, um, I managed to persuade... Well, it didn't really take a lot of persuading, to be honest, but I managed to persuade Beetlejuice to do a couple of the cover arts for... Um, cover art things for the podcast. And, yes, yeah, outstanding stuff, really. So, yeah, I, I think we'll... The, they 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 make a good pair, uh, Peter Wotherspoon and Beetle Jude on the uh, on the uh, Galnet News Digest. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be the same. So the, so the Bonnie and Clyde of news. Yes. <laughs> so so the other thing that's been going on the in game events is the uh, Palin and Ramtar seek the uh, seek these garlics, um, which I think we kind of knew last week, didn't we? That was a message that appeared last week. About yeah. them wanting, about them wanting that. Um, I guess that's still carrying on the investigation into that. I'll make one note about these new Galnet articles. It's nice that they're um, they're getting commanders getting shouted out again. That hasn't. It's been a long time since that happened. Back in the early days, there used to be coverage in Galnet of um, sort of player initiated events or. Players doing this, that, and the other. I think the the last time it really happened was during the whole discovery of Colonia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll note that uh, I'll note there's there there's once again mentions that we of course Psychic was Psychic's operation got a big mention um, the other week, uh, and in this most recent one with Palem and Ram Tar, we've got a we, there, there's mentions of where is it. A couple of yeah, a couple of people, Commander Herix and Commander. Uh, I'm gonna go full Colin here. Uh, Commander Dem Lagor, I think his name is. Um, but yeah, uh, I think the commander 
written pieces that you're referring to back on Galnet were about as late as, you know, mid-2017, because I know yeah. cause I wrote one to promote Mercury 7, my first expedition at the time, and that was quite late in the day for that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there definitely was a thing at that point. Post, this was yeah. like post-Colonia's establishment, so... Didn't Frontier have a policy of not publishing player contributing to you, Galnet, after a certain time? I, I completely agree with you, but it's, it's really good to see Commanders and Commanders Ephesus are celebrated in Galnet, and uh, I did miss that. But I think the gap was a conscious decision for them not to do player country Galnet, or am yeah. I imagining that? No, I think it was a, a, a conscious decision. And as you say, it is a shame. I think most people sort of mourn that, or even newer players think they, what, they, they allowed that, did they? That's really interesting. That's really good. Like, but that's the thing, as you say, because they had control of what got published anyway. So, you know, I don't see why not. Um, Miggles in chat has just said an interesting thing. It's that they've just read in, in that Galnet article, it mentions investigations by Kit Fowler, who is one of the engineers in Odyssey. So could the next CG have something to do with them, they asked. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, one of, one of the things we kind of speculated about on, on my stream a, a couple of weeks before it came out was like, I'd love to see some Guardian on-foot weapons or something like that, some, something along those lines. So, uh, you know, to get something which is an anti... I, I, I don't know whether they would do like an AX weapon on foot, but it would kind of lean down that path. Like everyone's anticipating that we're, we'll, we'll see on-foot Fargoids at some point. So, I'd, you know, it would be nice to be able to work towards unlocking some weapon. Um, Fargoids don't have feet, though, do they? So what would you call on-foot Fargoids? On, on, uh, on carapace? I know. <laughs> Are we, sh- are, they, are we sure they don't have feet? I mean, they have lots of feet. But when you say Thargoids have feet, I'm imagining like the ants in A Bug's Life with their little shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll probably have some kind of chitinous or cartilaginous projections that count as feet. That's a real mouthful if you want to describe <laughs> combat with one, isn't it? <laughs> We're just going to them in the. Sorry. No, carry on. So, the, the, uh, the final article we had was on Monday, which was a day of remembrance for HIP 22460. Um, have we read this article? Any thoughts on that? I think that one passed me by, I'm afraid. Uh, it's just a, a Federation's two minute silence, isn't it, really? Ah, um, oh, okay. So, if, uh, if the Federation has a minute silence to remember they're fallen does that mean the empire have a minute's cheering well if it, if unfortunately i think the empire lost a few people in this so perhaps not i mean it's a heck of a mess <laughs> yes i i think everybody lost a bit and i think the uh it seems like the alliance is getting more and more into bed with sirius as time goes on um but didn't and, sirius lose no one though i thought that was one of the main points of it that, well yeah this is it so so the, the the alliance has basically taken the fall for Sirius, essentially. Well, maybe not taken the fall, but they've uh, they, they they've been the cannon fodder, and Sirius have just sat back at home, you know, biding their time. So as the alliance gets as the alliance gets weaker and weaker, as the Thargoids chew up their um, their personnel and and material, then you know. So do you think the alliance got left alone? Because 
there was some link between what they got up to and Thargoids, or do you think they got left alone because they're completely irrelevant and no one really cares about them? Yeah, I don't think anybody cares about the Alliance, apart from the AEDC, but, I mean, yeah. <laughs> oh, so you get, like, the deep lore people were talking about, like, from, like, Elite 3 era FFE, that the Alliance was left alone by the Thargoids because they made some kind of secret agreement with them. But, yeah, uh, I even well, trying to recall it, what, the details of that as well. Yeah, in FFE, uh, the Alliance, basically, because there was that whole mycoid antidote kind of thread. There was, there was a bunch of hand-coded missions. Um, which ended up, if you did them, you ended up getting winning. You're basically getting a Thargoid ship of your own, mm-hmm. but you basically went off in the. Um, hopefully, this isn't a spoiler alert because it's a very old game now from the mid nineties. Yeah, you'd end up going. You you get Argent's quest because the 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 um, the shipyards uh, based in it was Mick Turner. You, you'll if you look if you, actually if you look in the codex, you'll see quite quite a few mentions of Mick Turner. Um, but they they designed the ship called the the Argent's Quest, which had this funny wagging tail. But it was like the it was it was like the ninety light year jumper conda of its day, um, and it it was about, it was the only ship that had the region the the the, the range to go to Polaris, which today is just next door. I mean, it's permit locked, but it's just next door for us. But in FFE, um, you're your drive would actually break down before getting there if you ever tried. So they, the the um, New Rossyth sh- shipyards in the Alliance built the ship and off they went. And if if you got onto the storyline, you basically got to pilot this thing and dock with the Thargoid mothership and then go and go somewhere in the bubble and find the um, antidote to this, the, the mycoid virus or whatever it was, the, the mycoid, yeah, the mycoid vaccine or whatever it was called. You go back to, you go, then go to the Pleiades um, and then you deliver it to the Thargoids and you'd be their hero and they would reward you with this Thargoid mothership. Well, you know, one of the little I, yeah, now the, the you mentioned, hexagonal things, yeah, yeah or octagonal things. <laughs> yeah, now you mention it about the Turner's Quest, I remember the waggy tail now because I remember when I yeah. saw it, I thought it was going to inseminate something. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> it was quite. Bi- it was quite a bizarre ship, to be honest. But it had this class form because back in FFE, you had two types of hyperdrive. You had the um, the regular Normal, hyperdrive and the military one, drive, and the military hard. drive. But the military drives only went up to class three. So you only had so much range with them, but this was like the 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 only class four military drive, and it would go a long way on very little fuel. And so, and and the other thing with FFE was the the time. It was like it it was, but they 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 had time dilation in the game. So when you did a hyperspace jump, what would take you ten seconds, but out, for everybody else, half a week had passed. You know. So, so this this is also quick. You also didn't suffer as much time dilation with the ship. So you could make this huge jump, and you'd only take two weeks of real time to make it to uh, Polaris. Where you try to do it in a conventional ship, it would take you the best part of a year, and your drive would break down, and you'd be stuck. There's a lay radio advert to do with that, isn't it? Yes, about being you know your children out aging you and stuff. Yes. <laughs> um, Crash just found today's article, by the way, in Galnet. Oh, that's thanks to Miggles in the chat, actually. So I'm just. Give All me right, okay. Thanks, Miggles. Uh, Thargoid Raw claim, claim speculation. Uh, so 
Gosh, have you chance to read it? Think about it. Oh, speculation. Yeah, just having a quick look. I mean, it's it's kind of um, pointing to what we we've all heard at the end of the. I think there was there was a kind of a trailer bit, wasn't there? Um, there some things on Twitter they shared and everything like that. And I think it's at the end of the actual uh, update thirteen. Uh, cutscene as well so there's that you know strange thargoid sounding roar at the end again hinting towards the fact that uh you know have they got a, another sh- ship coming perhaps something like that i mean i've i've been uh, of the 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 ilk I, I like the idea that we've got to see some big thargoid mothership at some point to come and take take on our capital ships i, I must admit the the roar at the end of the cutscene i kind of was a bit nonplussed it's sort of room it's sort of a trope, isn't it? It's like the uh, mean the merciless cackle at the end of the Flash Gordon film. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think this Thargoid noise was uh, some was the Thargoid equivalent of a cackle, an evil cackle. There's been a lot of. Th- I mean, I think that was one uh, on one of the uh, live streams they did. Um, I don't know if it was a week ago or or, or later, but um, they seem very, very keen to be pointing towards you know pay attention to the sound. I know people are trying the usual analysis techniques and things with with the sound wave. I don't think anyone's found anything in particular yet, but um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully there's some link there, and it's not just a you know. I mean, as, <laughs> as Malchad mentioned in chat just now, they suggested the noise sounded more Guardian than Thargoid, and that is something people speculated on, that actually we've woken up or annoyed the Guardian AI or something, maybe using all their um, all their artifacts for weapons sort of got us a copyright strike or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I would like that, I think, to have an, an, an extra player in the mix, uh, effectively. So it's not just us versus the Thargoids, it's, a, it's another entity which probably has animosity towards both both other factions, you know. I think that would be really, really interesting. Absolutely, like a Guardian faction that would be maybe like cryogenic suspension for millennia, mm. and just comes back to life at a certain point oh. where the AI says, like, yep, the Thargoids are active in this sector again, so bingo. Yeah, yeah, tr- triggering the Proteus wave just woke them all up. It's, I mean, it, it works for the Necrons, so why not? <laughs> the yeah, the Proteus control alt delete. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, I think we'll we'll move on because we uh, we've got still quite a bit to go through. So I think it's that time of the week again. Store alert. In the bi-weekly newsletter, here come paint jobs for your art. In the bi-weekly newsletter, here come paint jobs for your art. This this week we had a new paint skin for the Viper, um, the uh, Crossfire skin in black, brown, red, blue, green, grey, and red. Oh, what do we think about this one? Quite like the the black with the with the red highlights. That's that's totally my jam. I like that. I don't really fly the Viper much anymore, but I I might get it. Might drop a few arcs on it. I quite like it actually. It's got. Do you remember the pirate skin? Yeah. Yes, it's got a, that piratey skin vibe to it. Certainly to me, anyway. A little bit, yeah. 
Yeah, not, not a bad one. I think I definitely like ones where there's a bit of an asymmetric thing going on with instead of it being, you know, completely uh, mirrored. And uh, like I said, black, black and red. Mm, yep, chef's kiss. I like that. That's, <laughs> that's been fairly recent, isn't it? Being able to have asymmetrical paint skins. Somehow uh, seems a bit more kind of real, you know, acting a bit of a look, verisimilitude to the whole sort of look. Because think about it, if you had a spacecraft, you wouldn't necessarily want it to be always symmetrical, would you? Somebody's going to go out and do something asymmetrical and kind of, you know, out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, although I'm just thinking about that statement. I mean, what I would probably do is I would make it look symmetrical, but have it slightly not so it really OCD people when they looked at it. <laughs> But what do you think about the choice of having it on a Viper? Would you want to see it on another ship, or do you think it fits the Viper? I mean, it's pretty good on the Viper, to be honest. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, it's nice to see the smaller ships getting some love. It's, it's a shame that I don't use them as much now, but uh, yeah. yeah, I should go back and try it. The, the thing is, the smaller ships have actually really come back into their own since Odyssey. Uh, because if you're doing on-foot missions, you don't really want to do them in something... You, know, you don't want to go out in your Imperial Cutter and do them because you probably can't land at the settlement. Uh, I mean, you could land next to the settlement, but it, you know what I mean? It, it It's a bit of a pain to do on-foot missions in a big ship. Yeah. What you want is a small, fast ship that when you've been caught committing a crime, um, you can sort of run away very quickly because yeah. it's terribly easy to get caught on these missions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're spot on. I mean, I, I was flying around in, in, in the ass for a long, long time because it had the biggest range. And lately I've been back in the Vulture because it's nice and quick, nippy, it's small. I can get it close to where I want to be. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. Uh, well, I, cause I, uh, you're right. I mean, I use my Cobra on put missions and mucking around just simply because you say it's a small fast ship mm. um so it's pretty it's pretty nippy and uh you don't ever have trouble landing with them. and also to be fair the if it does get got the rebuy doesn't exactly break the bank does it i mean i haven't lost one yet but you know it's always in the back of your mind isn't it something could happen i'll, I'll lose my ship so if it's a, if it's a cobra or a viper or something then it doesn't really matter that much and also, the Viper can be made to go extremely quickly. So, mm. you know, it's in, in its own right. I mean, it was still it, it's still the the choice of many races. I imagine the the Imperial Courier, looking at the the, the recent the recent stats in the uh, Magic Eight Ball thing, um, that the Courier seems to be extremely popular right now. But the yeah, the Viper is another contender. So, yeah, um, if you feel the need for speed. So it's, it's always been quite a good ship from that respect. But now, with, as I said, with the foot-based missions, something small and fast really is a must. And so Viper, Cobra, the Courier, all these ships that become overlooked in the main game, as it were, are really sort of coming back into, into vogue, I think. So it's nice they're getting a bit of love, I think. The other thing I like using small ships for on foot missions is if you push the envelope into how much free oxygen you've got left you don't want to sort of asphyxiate when you're halfway to uh, walking across your uh, cutter well yeah this is it <laughs> i think there's also the fact of if you have a, a carrier or operate from a carrier maybe as part of a squadron or a group it's kind of easier if you do have a small ship just as a, like a shuttlecraft in a way so i mean i definitely do that myself 
And the the other thing is a lot of these small ships have pointy noses, which if you get one of those massacre missions at a ground base uh, and it's getting a little bit too hot to do it in your unupgraded suit, you can just hop in your ship and like use the pointy nose of a courier to squish the enemy personnel. I mean, it's great fun. <laughs> you know, it's been years since I flew a courier. I, I kind of don't know why I didn't bother with it. I think I just jumped right at the time when they first came out. Um, it was, yeah, okay, I'll try one out. But I was uh, more into my Python and thing and the uh, asp i think than the the courier at the time so i don't really know the ship that well to be fair that's great fun. yeah they're not yeah. a bad ship and you, you can actually explore in them if you if you kiss them out for exploration you can have quite quite a f- a fast ship that's fun to fly but also has a decent jump range i mean no, it, yeah it's no paper explorer conda or even you know putting any really putting it giving any competition in terms of jump range to things like you know the asp or or the diamondback or whatever but in terms of it it's it's good enough i think sometimes we lose sight of these things we want this thing this like mega jump range ship and we forget that sometimes it's just fun to hoon hoon down near the near the surface of a planet you know sort of ten thousand light years from home and what have you uh and so having Having something that's fast and fun is, but also has reasonable jump range is also fun. The courier, the courier fills that leash quite well. Unfortunately, the Viper, which is what we're really talking about, I don't think is quite so good for, in that in that but respect. It's che- but it's cheap, so yeah. yeah, it's a pure racer, really, isn't it? Yeah. So, so hopefully we've got some adverts lined up, and then we'll move on to the uh, the fireside chat. Which is the uh, which will hopefully be interesting for people. If not, you can go to bed early. So anyway, um, hopefully we have some adverts. So we'll see you on the other side. Hi, I'm Trent Stephen Findlist Jr. and I'm here to tell all you pilots about a great new service. Take a listen to my friend Pete. My name is Pete, and I'm a long-distance haulier. I drive a Puma shipping farm machinery from Leasty to Sawayo. I love my family, and I don't mind being a hard-working blue-collar dad. But I'm tired of seeing my family grow old in front of my eyes. Every time I make the run there and back, I lose 15 days in hyperspace. My family is starting to notice that they're getting older and I'm not. My wife had a baby last week, did a week of shifts and now my kids got teeth. I wish there was some way my family could get old at the same speed as me. There is, Pete. How? By buying into my new service, Findlist Cryogenics. We aim to put the freeze on the premature ageing of your family. The process is simple. Our unique family centres allow you to drop off your loved ones on the way to work. Simply hire the number of cryogenic pods you need and keep your family asleep while you fly among the stars. We ensure synchronicity with your flight patterns so they spend the same time awake that you spend in the cockpit. And when you get home, bingo! Your family is the same age as you. Never lose family time in hyperspace again. We guarantee that you'll never miss another birthday, anniversary or funeral. Wow, Trent, that sounds great. Where do I sign? Simply put your credit card details into our special webpage under the hashtag WeFreezeYourLove. We'll take care of the amounts, no need to worry about that. It's so simple. I can't wait to keep my family in a secure block of ice. It's a weight off my mind. Findalist Cryogenics, now at your local spaceport. Findalist Cryogenics, because the family that grows old together goes cold together. Legacy on Lave Radio, broadcasting to every corner of the galaxy. 
flown ships at max speed. You felt the power of the 30 megawatt mining laser. You've experienced the efficiency of the MB4 mining machine. Wow. But it leaves every hardcore miner with just one question. Why can't I get a shave that's that fast, close and efficient? Introducing the Saracen MB5 shaving drone. It's so smooth. Combining the power of a mining laser with the convenience of a drone. It's like every hair is targeted by a fighter and destroyed. Saracen's patented shaving drone attaches to your face at the start of the day. Leave it to do its work, and when you come back to check, your face is shaved. He's so smooth. It's like I'm mining my face. The Saracen MB5 shaving drone. Now I feel manly. Saracen shaving. Making shaving an unnecessary adventure. From the makers of the MB5 shaving drone comes the latest in personal grooming technology. Here at Saracen, we've heard your request loud and clear. You want something new. Applying all the recent technological advances. Introducing the Panther Clipper. Gone are the days of your unruly body hair making you look like a bedraggled alpaca. The Panther Clipper is the biggest, baddest shaver credits can buy. A shave so smooth it'll shave 10 milliseconds off your buckyball time. The new Panther Clipper from Saracen. It's exactly what you've been asking for. You've listened to 400 episodes of Lave Radio. Why? And we're back after that commercial break. So, for our main topic, um, per se, I, as I said, I wanted to sort of... Uh, have a, a fireside chat about a few a few subjects and to uh, to become Ben for a minute to go long and deep into a few parts of, of the game and gaming in general. In particular talking about game progression, um balance, the effects of narrative and um all that sort of stuff. So just quickly go around the uh the thing just you wouldn't mind talking about your gaming background, what sort of games you enjoy and what you played and played for ages. Just sort of get a, a flavour of the sort of gameplay you like. Oh boy, where to start? <laughs> thumb, thumb through my Steam library, I guess. That would be... <laughs> see what's in there. I think it's, it's one of those things where I get a lot of people in my, in my stream chatting to me and asking me like if I've played certain other space games. I think there's, there's a, a general assumption that I'm a big fan of space games in general, but tacit admission, like Elite was the one space game that I really enjoyed the most, and I didn't really play a lot of other space games. I actually tended to prefer quite a, quite a variety of games, actually. You know, uh, growing up, it was like Quake and Carmageddon when I was a teenager, platform games before that, so I play a bit of everything, really. Well, I'm not playing Elite, that is. <laughs> uh, so how about you, Mac? Well, um, as I... Well, anyway, let's start starting from the start. Elite has kind of always been my first love. I actually did start with the 8-bit Elite, um, which makes me sound very old, but yes. Um... And it's a game like that. It really kind of fired my imagination. And then it continued through the series. I, I had a pirate copy of uh, Frontier, which was Elite 2. And I actually bought First Encounters when it came out. Um, you got that the wrong, wrong way around, really. Yeah, you I know. You bought um, First Encounters and pirate. 
Sorry, so, so yeah, two and pirate first encounters. So yeah, I had I had FFE, uh, and we managed. There was there was a small group of us which we managed to make. We kind of went. It kind of it, it's kind of foreshadows all the things like me getting involved in Sagittarius Eye and all that kind of stuff. We we kind of we kind of could. With with Frontier First and Cast, it, it kind of came to the story. Eventually, came to an end, but we kind of continued it. Um, we had a we had like a little uh, back in those days. There was like a web based bulletin board, and we we sort of we sort of discussed our latest adventures in FFE, and we we came up with all these we came up with this, these, these various sagas and stuff, which, which are all very, a lot of fun. It was kind of a bit of, a bit of role-playing stuff, really. It was, it was all a lot of good fun, but I kind of like games like, and what Elite Dangerous is, it's a game that can fire the imagination. It's, it's more than just, you know, you play the game, put, put it down. You imagine what if, what if I was actually really there? Um, what would I do? What would I be like? Would I be, the petty criminal I actually am in Elite Dangerous, or would I be like I was in real life, or should I go? Yeah, that that kind of thing. It, it's nice that the um, it, it's kind of games like that that kind of fire the imagination. So mm. one one thing I, I don't tend to play many games at once. So at the moment, it's really most of my time is either. Starcraft 2, which is a completely different type of game altogether. It's competitive. It's I just play the uh, play on the the competitive ladder. So that is pure. That's purely about trying to beat your opponent's skill and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I'm not all that good at it, but I do enjoy it, even though it can be quite frustrating. Uh, although I'm sure. Quite a few of my opponents get quite frustrated, especially last night. I had I had a I had a bit of a I had a little bit of the, the horns came out, and I I I was doing all these cheesy strategies, which I know are just so frustrating if you're on the receiving end of them. But yeah, sometimes sometimes you have to go and and, and cheese your opponent. But yeah, um, so yeah, I I don't tend to play many games at once uh, in one time, so I, I usually get addicted to a couple, and that's about it. So yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I hate to look in the stats to see how many hours I got playing Elite. But yeah, that, that's really been my main for the last few years, and okay. a bunch of Starcraft, really. So how about you, Yannick? What's your gaming background? Okay, it sort of starts kind of similar way to Mac, but diverges a bit. I was I started my Elite journey like at yeah Elite Two Frontier and then FFE, but I'm a bit more eclectic and like I like things like Doom and Quake back in that same era as well. The sort of FPS games or early sort of 3D FPS games, and they were pretty cool. Also, some point and click adventures like Monkey Island series, which is absolutely amazing. If we're coming to uh, you know the whole thing about game mechanics a bit later. But yeah, and then for more through sort of time to the present, I've put one of the threads is like flight sims as well, various Microsoft flight sims, tornado in the 90s, stuff like that. But at the present, I tend to switch between playing elite and strategy games like uh, Crusader Kings 3. That's my main other kind of game at the moment. So that's like, that's the long and the short of it anyway. So just um, before we go on to, on to my history, which I'm sure people will be having drinks already. So... 
What was your exposure to multiplayer gaming then? I know Mac mentioned his bulletin board, and which is probably more cooperative than the multiplayer MMO style that a lot of people are familiar with. So what was your first exposure to those? That's, very, that's, that's anyone. That's a good oh. question. Sorry, because some of us are of like beyond a certain age remember pre-internet gaming. You had to <laughs> yes. be in the same room as your friend to play a game. So it usually starts with that pre-internet, like you know, on your sort of PC or Mega Drive or whatever you might be playing on. Yeah, at most you could have maybe four people if you had the right hardware. Usually two, but then obviously you get into the internet era and it becomes you know, better and better in terms of MMO kind of gaming. But I don't think I played like a huge number of uh, MMOs or like had single player games with like MMO or at least multiplayer bits added onto them, like the Quake series and stuff. So I actually played very early MMO. I mean, they weren't even called MMOs then. They were called MUDs, multi-user dungeons. It was all text, text based, basically a text adventure. And I played it, well, I played it for about a quarter and then the telephone bill arrived and I was banned from using the modem, basically, at that point because it, uh, the phone bill was rather obscene. But there was a game called, uh, there's a multi-user dungeon called Shades and it was um, it was very much a PvP type. Of, a lot of mods you do, that. a lot of mods back in the day were very much on the kind of cooperative vein where you'd go out and quest together and and uh, it was all t- tend to be PVE, but Shades was a bit different. It was it was very there was the PVE element, but it's very explicitly PVP, and it was actually the PVP was quite brutal in it because if you got into a fight with another player, or actually if you got in a fight with an NPC as well and lost, you'd lose half your experience points. <coughs> if you started a fight and lost you'd lose all your exp- experience score it was it was called novicing when that happened because you got sent back to the the the, the lowest level it, it was a bit like elite it had a rank so novice was the first rank and like wizard was when when you became an immortal but yeah you you got noviced if you started a fight and you couldn't win there were there are various options to flee but if you ran from a flight who, who, whoever started whether it was you or the other guy if you fled from a fight, you would lose something like 3% of your experience points, which, if you were in the late game, was pretty... There's quite a lot of points. So a lot of, a lot of players try... Because you could cast spells during fights, and a lot of players would... There was one thing I like to do, is if somebody attacked me, I would... If I was high enough level, I could use the force spell and force them to actually do the flee action so they would lose the 3% their score. They people got quite salty about that and claimed it was unfair, but you know they attacked me, so yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was. I in fact, I was I was so enamoured by this thing uh, when I went to I, a friend and I actually wrote because we had a lot of schools back in those days had BBC micros and there was a network called Econet where you could it was a low cost way of making BBC that. micros together. So we had a. We had a, the computer room at school had about a dozen machines in it, all networked through Econet. And there was two of friends and I wrote a mod for Econet on the BBC Micros. Um, and I, I actually got the, 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 the teacher who ran the, the, the school's computer room actually sent me the floppy disk. And I managed to recover all the data off them. They're all still readable. So I have my 15 year old. Uh, 
I can look at how I used to write code when I was 15. <laughs> I, I, I remember reading out. I remember hijacking the entire secondary colleges, 50-odd, 60-odd BBCs, and got yeah. to play the um, Sweet Dreams Are Made Of These. The best. Oh, God, yeah, we used all to do things. that. We, we used to get all the machines in the computer, because you, you could download, you could from bulletin boards, you could get these... People would write basic, pro- basic program, basic using the the sound command and the BBC micro to play tunes, uh, and we would get like all the machines, and we'd sync, we'd start them all on the network, we'd synchronize them all to start at the same time, playing like something like Sweet Dreams or whatever. There's 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 a whole bunch of stuff music people made for these things. Yeah, we we used to we used to do that as well. Not that but, I was a hacker, of course. But yeah, I, we this kind of continued because when it, well, I went to the, I I went to the University of West of England or Bristol Poly as it was when in my first year, and we had a Unix lab, and that's when I discovered LP Mud, which is a multi-user. Basically, it's it's like you you can construct your own mud from it. You run it on some Unix machine. Um. We were kind of running it clandestinely because we weren't ra- allowed to run mods on the the uh, the faculty's server, but we did anyway until uh, a friend of mine because you could write these modules and he wrote one. It had a bug in it and it kept it kept spewing out logs and it like used up all the space on this space yeah. on the partition. So, I was on. So we got caught. <laughs> I'm not surprised. So. Looking back on the well, okay, I'll, I'll do my gaming history. My I, I play a lot of Spectrum games. I was very much of a I wouldn't call it min maxer, but when I start when I got into a game, I really got into a game. Like the BBC like the Spectrum version of Elite, I got over two million credits. I just played yeah. it, that and uh, I was like, I got my name in computer video games for getting a high score on Sailor Wolf. You know, so I, I was really into the single-player games. Um, and, and then I had a choice. I remember walking into games in 2005 and seeing two games. One was uh, Tomb Raider and the other was Guild Wars 1. And my brother was, oh, don't buy a MMO. You'll never see the light of day. It will take over your life. I was mad. So uh, I brought Guild Wars 1. And um, that was my first experience of, like, a multiplayer game. Um and then from then on, I've got more and more into the multiplayer MMO style games, particularly ones where you have complicated game mechanics. We'll come on to that later. Um, so raiding, unlocking puzzles, min-maxing, all that sort of stuff really got me interested. So going around the, um, the room again, though, what kept you coming back to these games? Why did you enjoy those games specifically? Was it the story? Was it the way they played? Was it the graphics? So what was it that made you spend all those thousands of hours in the games? Awkward silence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, okay, I'll go. Um, certainly, for, certainly for those old text-based adventure games that were online, you know, either usually, you know, once we got to university, I didn't have a tremendous phone bill to play them anymore. It, there, there was always a sense of community, and um, even, because back then we we all we 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 all played. We we're all basically in the same room when we were playing these things. So you'd you'd be there. You'd you get your um, you'd be trying to get an assignment done, and then it'd be like late night. You'd order a pizza, which was you're not also supposed to eat in the in the computing center, but we did anyway because it was two a.m. and who was going to know? 
um and and there was there was there was always a great sense of community about these things so i kind of enjoyed that uh because it was it was also a kind of like-minded community of nerds if you like so we you know there's there a lot of shared interest and um yeah it was it was uh, and there was always a little bit of competitiveness about it as well, because of course when when we did the the, the mod at the uh, university as well, I I had to model it in in the vein of shade, so a pure hack and slash type of PvP style adventure. So yeah, it was it, it was it was always good fun. A bit, you know, we we never got too salty about it, but um, because well, fortunately, I think that's what really saved me is get is getting is when the, this thing blew up and the the logs filled up the disk partition is is that when 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 our toys got taken away, I had to sit down and actually um, finish off the assignment I was trying to work on. So, <laughs> so so Yannick, how about you? What what made you keep coming back to these games? Do you think? That's a damn good question because to try and sort of break it down is, uh, you know, it's quite hard because you're thinking back sometimes back even decades. But I, on the top of my head, I think it's often just creating worlds. It's about setting a kind of scene that's just different from your sort of everyday life. And whether that be in a sort of, you know, an RPG, uh, giant MMO, space games like Elite, especially space games, obviously, does take us very much out of our sort of day-to-day sort of existence or if you were playing the sort of you know um fps games that and obviously unless you were actually like a soldier in real life you'd have never get that kind of experience or anything close to it but it's that sense of yeah building a a world that even by its own rules is kind of cohesive i think or makes sense and i think yeah the most the most brilliant games are usually ones who are actually build very consistent kind of worlds and i think that's definitely one of elite's biggest uh advantages over the years with have years of lore to go back on as well okay how about you Craig? i was trying to i was trying to rack my brains think of like what game did i really get into with multiplayer and i i, I suppose it would probably would have been quake but in a very limited sense and i know that's not as grand a scope as something like an mmo um but even that then i think as I was, I was quite young when I first played through it. The the sense of wonder, the mystery is like I didn't know how deep the rabbit hole went. I wanted to find out everything about it, and and to begin with, you know, it was obviously the various simple things you could do in simple in single player, like you know, finding the secrets and uncovering everything in every level and stuff like that. And then, uh, lucky enough that uh, I, had, I had friends played it as well, so we'd set up. I say lands in the loosest sense of the term, but it tended to be two of us with a null modem cable <laughs> because, hey, it worked and we couldn't get out of the equipment for a you know proper base 10 network. <laughs> but it worked. And, you know, then oh, that kind of opened our eyes to like, well, what else can you do? Like, you can do this in single play. You can do this together in co-op. And it's like, hey, how do we get online? And I was kind of unfortunate in some ways. I didn't really get uh, any online exposure until the days of Quake 3. And I played that for a significant amount of time. That was, I mean, obviously more competitive, not as uh, as compelling as an experience as, as some of the games you've mentioned already. But um, yeah, the competitive so, thing was a big thing for me So at the start. So Quite. what particularly about Quake 3, the competitive, yes, you can have a competitive game and you find mm. what lot, but what was it about Quake 3, the way it played, the way it looked, etc., that kept you... Yeah, it was. It's uh, it's a tricky one. Like I said, the, the the mystery was a big part at the beginning. I think a lot of that went away when I I discovered like competitive multiplayer games, and it was more about just 
trying to be the best at it you could be. I think that was that was a compelling hook for me. Um, I'm, I'm nowhere near good enough to be competitive anymore, but back then it was it was fun to to do that and and to kind of just bump into random people. Uh, and I think shortly after that, I discovered wow for the first time um heard about this concept of mmos but i've never really played any uh and then once once i got into that and realized that hey i don't have to be competitive i can bump into random strangers who want to help me do things was, that was kind of an eye-opening moment for me and i was like wow i like that this this online thing is really cool and i think that's where it it really opened up the door for me and, and what made me want to keep coming back and playing online games I think with me, it went through phases, and in some ways it still does. Because I mentioned before that when I got into a game, mm. like I mentioned the original Elite and Save Wolf and things like that, I really would go at it. I would make sure I understood. I'd basically be, I'd want to um, dissect the way the game played. What, what happened if I did that? What was the effect of doing this? What was the most efficient? What was the fastest? What was the most interesting? What was the most difficult in terms of if you got, for example, in some in some games, you have a class that's pretty much dominant at doing X or Y and a class that's rubbish at doing X or Y. And I would try and do the hardest parts of the game in the, in the class that wasn't, that was the worst just because of the challenge. So for me, I think it's always been about me, the player, versus the game versus the mind behind the game to try and beat it um which is why i mean you mentioned world world of warcraft never really got into that but in other games i love progression raiding you know you get a new raid you get a new challenge and i would be playing days at a time sometimes trying to work out what was the way to beat this particular challenge and it didn't matter if I died 50 times, 100 times, or whatever. I would keep, I would work at the mechanics, I would work at the game, and I would try and uh, work out the puzzle that had been put forward to me for a gamer. And I, I think that's why I like Guild Wars 1, I think, I guess, because the, the puzzle was getting the optimum set of skills and build, which is very clever, very simple, but actually quite complex. It was that puzzle of working out what's the best way, what's the most fun way for me of doing it. Um, so I think games that I didn't get on with um, are the ones where, you know, press fire to click or just use this weapon because it's the biggest and powerful, whatever. That simplistic doesn't do anything for me because for me, the puzzle is ended. Maybe if that makes sense to people. I bet you've met like NetHack. That's a really old one, isn't it? Yeah, it's still developed, though. Um, it's one of those games where they've thought of everything. Uh, it's the the original versions of text based. You used to play them on a on a on a like a console to some Unix machine, but there are there are what graphical game based games. But it's like a, a dungeon crawler type of game. But yeah, they've they've thought you wouldn't believe what they thought of in that game. You keep finding new stuff. I mean, one of the things that's say it used to it used to have the nickname Grade Wrecker because people would get so addicted to it. <laughs> I mean, for me, well, I, again, I, I keep mentioning Guild Wars because it got way, most interesting. But there, there was a class of um, character in Guild Wars called the Mesmer, 
And it was also the most complicated and nebulous class to play because it wouldn't be it wouldn't really fit into the classic you know holy trinity of damage tanking and healing what its specialty would be and i guess that's is partly where the shannon persona comes from is its whole purpose was to wreck what the other player was doing so so let's say for example crash was i don't know playing a ranger with a bow and arrow you know Spike shooting arrows at people, spiking whatever, or a monk. Let's say, let's say Mac was a monk, because it kind of runs. So the monk class <laughs> was 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 all about healing and protecting other players and themselves. What the mesmer could do was it were it would I would notice the animation or indeed what the skill was that Mac the monk was about to do, and I could interrupt that. Or I could put a hex on Max so he would damage himself or disable some skills for a minute. So it was basically ruining other people's games. And that is the way it did damage or mitigated damage by preventing other people from doing stuff. And to be a good Mesmer, what you had to do is you almost had to know over a thousand skills that are in the game, what they did, what the effect of them were and how important they, they could be and you had a quarter or a half a second to interrupt that skill before it completed. Mm -hmm. So it was an amazing class to play, but I love detail. But because it wasn't damage or healing or tank, there people had this thing, oh, Mesmers can't do this. Mesmers can't do that because they're not one of those. So I, I made a point of doing the most difficult elite areas of the game with nothing but Mesmers. <laughs> And I loved that as a challenge because it was, first of all, it was poking an eye at people who were classists, but also it had a complexity and depth of doing that. And, and that's, I think that's, that's what I enjoyed about it. So it's, and I totally get also, sorry for rambling on, but I totally get also what you guys are saying about sparking the imagination and the whole roar and uh, occasional role play stuff. Because when I first saw Classic Elite, I think I've mentioned this before, I was there when I saw that Cobra coming into DSO that my my uh, my cousin was playing. I was there. I was in that spaceship. The universe was alive. So I think having that spark, that moment of putting yourself in place of a fiction of a fictional world, is a very powerful draw. Um, mm. So my, my, my next sort of thing I was going to quickly talk about though is so. We hear the terms um, game mechanics, progression, balance, and narrative. So to you, and I'll pick on Crash because he's been quiet. Um, uh, what do you think for you game mechanics, progression, balance, and narrative actually mean? How would you define those terms? Um, I, th I think it touches on some of the things you've said there. It's like, it's like setting forth a challenge and giving you tools to overcome it. Um, I think that's always a re rewarding loop. So in terms of like basic game mechanics, something in Elite that was in there very early was like like the combat was, you know, understanding how to manage your pips, understanding that energy weapons do shield damage and kinetic are better for hull and all that sort of stuff. That's a mechanic which is, it presents you with a bunch of options, it gives you a bunch of tools, and it's up to you to figure out how to put those together and how to kind of build up the hand-eye coordination and stuff in order to overcome it. So in terms of, in terms of a game mechanic, that's, that's kind of one example. Um, but as you said, like, the games that I, I find really intriguing as well, I think we've got a, a lot in common there, Sean, is, is like, the ones that present you with a whole bunch of things and then finding that 
one way they never th- thought of <laughs> that someone would try to do it because because I, I like to do stupid things like that as well <laughs> just to see it's like, what if what if i play it this way well, so yeah that's definitely um uh, an interesting challenge because that leads into the idea of balance balance is incredibly critical i would say in, in in any game but it's also the biggest and most difficult thing to get right in in game development um it's you know you've mentioned a bit like that you know that trifecta you have, you have like the, the the three things that that fit well together like the rock paper scissors idea that you see in a lot of games where you, you know one thing beats another but it's weak against this one and so on and so forth in simple terms that works well but when you have something as massively complex as elite i think the you know the crack show like we've discussed many times before things like engineering it's incredibly difficult to get that balance right and you know the 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 challenges start to show for as you start to add more complexity so it's nice to have the mechanics in place where you've got all of those options presented to you you've got so many things you can do but finding that balance there of how do you keep it fair how do you keep it so that it doesn't break when a player does something crazy like like we would um and you know keep it fair for all it's a very 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 difficult thing um in terms of progression i'm i'm it's always it's always that kind of immediate endorphin loop isn't it i mean in the early days it was always my scores going up you know more score better <laughs> in the days of, in the days of pac-man it was yeah i've got more of those things uh and at the very earliest elite i guess it would be you know credits it's like yes i've got as you said so many credits i could literally do anything i'm unstoppable it's it's nice that games have got to the point now where there's there's a lot of different measures of of your progress and you can almost set your own personal goals like um for me at the moment in in odyssey it's definitely you know unlocking every single suit with every upgrade and all of the weapons and all all of the cool toys i can get which obviously isn't credits based but it's just a nice thing to have i mean there's not really a purpose for it at the end of the day when you look at it like that but i think definitely it's it's just kind of like it's a personal thing it's like i've achieved that i've put in the work i've got the reward for it i'm happy um the final thing was uh narrative you said uh yeah it's see i've i've never really been one to dive a lot into the narrative a lot of games um I think Frontier on the Amiga was one of the first games where I sat there and actually read through the books and it was kind of intriguing. There was all these stories and it was nice that it's kind of filled in the background. And at that age, I, I very much kind of thought that, oh, the, you know, these people in these stories, they're out there. They're in the game. There's something, someone you might bump into. Uh, and obviously years later, figuring out that, damn, you know, these things just aren't that complex yet <laughs> we're, we're not at that stage where we've got uh, a persistent npcs wandering around and stuff it was kind of disappointing to come to that realization years later but uh, it's it's nice to have that there as a kind of that mystery that intrigue the idea that there could be more to it than what you see at a surface level interesting how about you mate yeah it's right because you mentioned getting you know score earlier getting high scores and stuff like that I've been kind of the opposite. I've never found score and that kind of thing has kind of motivated me. It's always finding stuff, getting to the next, getting to the next, you know, like imagine a platform game, getting, you know, like Jet Set Willy to, to talk about a really old platform game. I didn't care about the score. I cared about as getting into as many of the rooms as possible. I just wanted to see all the rooms. 
and um, I guess that's why I'm going on this three-month expedition with with the Anik next month. It's, it's because you know it, it's always about not so much about how many points I can get or how many credits I can get. It's where can I go? Everything is to that end. Where can I go? What can I look at? What can I fiddle around with? What interesting new things can I see? And uh, well, it, you know, coming back coming back to the subject of elite, it's always it's always had that kind of element about it. Um, and uh, you know, talking about back in the day about people making up a load of bullshit about what's in games. Um, so the, how the, would you? Sorry. So how would you define? game mechanics and balance and things like that what would you um balance is balance is a hard especially especially if your motivation is to sort of it's 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 hard because you make it too easy you take away because you've got to have some challenge in it right so if it's too easy it becomes unsatisfying so for instance, this is why I don't have a 98 light year paper thin hull jumper condor because that's just too easy and I might miss stuff. I want it to feel like a voyage, you know, not like I got there in three hours. So, in terms of, you know, in terms of, say, exploration balance, let's say, just being able to teleport to the other side of the galaxy is, it, it kind of takes everything away. It no longer feels like a voyage. It just feels like going down to the shops, if you know what I mean. So, um, they're, they're, and there's got to be, I think, with balance as well, and mechanic, game mechanics and balance, and I, because I do do, I do do combat sometimes in Elite, and th- that's the other thing, is being, is when you, if you get overpowered, it, again, it becomes unsatisfying, um, and, yeah. The, the the trouble is once you once you've the the problem is with things like engineering once you've done it one way it becomes tremendously difficult to fix it so you've got to get it right first time which is really really insanely hard and then I think for good balanced game mechanics there has to be proper trade offs so if you want your mega I mean, with, with the jumper condor, actually, there is there are trade offs with exploration ships because you have to make them paper thin and a little bit um, easy to. Yeah, you can't really. Yeah, it makes it landing on high G planets in but a paper condor quite tricky. The the thing is, what you don't, I think, what you don't want, which is unfortunately kind of what you got, it, it is where you can have something with enormously powerful weapons and simultaneously enormously powerful defenses. What you want is a bit of a trade off there. So you either want a glass cannon or something that's really tough. You know, it's like it it, it can turtle up, but it's got a pea shooter for an armament. You know, so. Uh, you you got you. I think for balance, you've really got to go for that. and and some of the. I think some of the best some some of the best game experiences uh where that balance has been struck really right. Um and this is why I play StarCraft a lot, is because that they've done a very good job of balancing all three not just balancing all three races, so no one race is particularly overpowered. They all want their strengths and weaknesses and their different strengths and weaknesses, and players endlessly complain about something being inverse, something being overpowered or whatever, but in reality, the game is... They've done a pretty good job at balancing out um, the game as a whole, right from the maps to everything like that. So I think it, I mean, it's, it sounds a bit... It, it's a bit easy to say this, but balance is, balance is 
really massively important, but at the same time, it's massively difficult to get right. And there yeah. is danger, like what we've seen with our favourite game. Uh, if you, you can easily, you can easily get, you can easily blow it a bit with engineering. And then once everybody's got their OP ships, you, you imagine taking that away from them. Now it just it wouldn't. It'd be ugly. <laughs> yeah, with me. Yeah, with me personally. What I mean, I think of game mechanics. As if you like the laws of physics. So if you do X, Y happens. Or if you um, if you invest in this, that's the effect. So it is literally how something works. That's what I think of game mechanics. And uh, just thinking back on what Crash said about the innovative builds. Again, take a drink. It's getting late. People are having a beer in chat. But there was a build in Guild Wars One called the 55 monk and what happened was is there was a few skills that the monk had that that did the max amount of damage you could incur was 10% of your health and there was another skill that gave you um, 10 health back every second I think it was and that would, that would just kept on all the time when you cast it so what people did is they bought runes which lowered your health until they got to 55. So the maximum health of this monk was 55 HP. And people were, what's stupid? That's one hit from a silly thing. Why would you want that? But if you combined it with the most damage you can incur is 10% of your health to a skill that added 10 health on, you're 55, the most health you will lose is 5 health, which is then instantly doubled and healed back. So you, in fact, made it invincible. It couldn't kill, you couldn't kill it. Unless, well, in PvE, you couldn't kill it because there was no creature that was designed to counter the skills at that time. So that's the sort of inventiveness I really, I really enjoyed. Now, pro progression for me... I like to think in it as you can have a game session, no matter how long it is, whether it's 10 minutes or 10 hours, you can walk away from that game session and think, I really, I really felt as though I did something at the end of that. That's, that's what I feel as progression. So whether it's money or whatever it is, you need to have that satisfied, yeah, I accomplished something then. Uh, that, for me, is what a progression is like. Um, Game balance again. This it, it's a tricky one. I, I I don't personally. I'm don't think I'm a fan of the rock paper scissors form of game balance. Simply because for me that's too limiting. I want to turn a pair of scissors into a rock, or I want the ability to be able to turn a pair of scissors into a rock. Um, but then again, I all, and we will come to this later. Then I, I also don't like the meta. You know how you, at the moment that there's a certain meta in in PVE and AX and stuff like that. There's there's a meta build where people have gone to Wikipedia or whatever it is, gone to YouTube and thought, oh, I'll put that build in. Someone because someone's done all the hard work, they've done all the thinking for you, and all you've done is copy it. And for me, that's why I don't like the meta. It takes the inventiveness away. And things um narrative i think provides the incentive to get involved in the community and, and the play and and the player base because we've talked about how most of us i think have said that uh we really enjoyed 
losing yourself in the in the game. Imagine you're in your code mark three or whatever it is. That for me is the purpose of narrative is to draw you into the game world. Um, so, so in your experience, I mean, I've mentioned the 55 monk and things like that. So what's the standard examples of these in the gamings that you've had? So, and which did you like and what you, did you dislike? You've asked a really hard question there. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everybody's, that's that's one. Everybody's, everybody's busy thinking. <laughs> I think in, in terms of the games we've already through, I, mean, I mentioned WoW. Like I said, that the one thing that I think changed my perception of how games could be and, and you know what, what, what it really meant to, to play something like an MMO like WoW was I was wandering around, playing the game as if it was a single-player game, completely solo, wandering around, doing my own things. I had no idea that the, the core loop was supposed to be, you know, get with the party, get in a dungeon, all that sort of stuff. And just stumbling across, uh, across the, the, the first uh, dungeon, which was uh, Dead Mines, and just having a random person who was like level 60 at the time, max level, just goes, do you want to hand going down there? And I was like, yeah, cool. You know, and he just, just boosted me through just randomly and off the head. And that really kind of changed my perception of how these sorts of games could be played and, and what was possible out there is opened my eyes to like, wow, you know, the, the cooperative is a, is really fun. <laughs> yeah. So how about you then, Yannick? What's your uh, memorable mechanics and things? I don't know if it's a specific mechanic, but I suppose it's an entire approach. I was thinking all the way back to uh, Quake 1, which is obviously a lot of people have really played it or at least aware of it, because that was the first really, truly three-dimensional um, you know, FPS game that was available to people. And that was kind of it was groundbreaking in so many ways just to have, because all the previous FPS games had always been quite two-dimensional, not in the sense of what you could see, but in terms of the way you moved around. You were always moving around on the floor, and you were just fixed to it. But by Quake, you could jump up on things and it was a truly three-dimensional world that you could, you know, you had to look up as well as down to see baddies, to shoot them, etc. And that, because not just the fact that it was the first one, but they did it so well that like most FPS games, at least like 10 years afterwards, were kind of based upon that engine if not the similar kind of mechanics within it where you know the it was because it's based on medieval weaponry for those who never played it and rather than sort of modern weaponry or lasers or whatever so you have all these kind of medieval sorts of like bolt throwers and uh actually shotguns as well not really medieval but kind of early industrial weapons at least so it, it was like having kind of very gritty but kind of realistic mechanics like it felt like you were the grunt who was going around like and <laughs> brutalizing people and like looking around corners and stuff. But that was such a huge leap in mechanics for the time. Yeah, because when Doom came out, the original Doom, that was, you know, as long as you aimed in the direction of the monster, you would hit it even if it was above or below you. I'm, exactly. I'm right thinking. Yeah, okay. Doom, was, Doom was pseudo 3D. It wasn't truly 3D. Yeah, that's true. So go, going on the same, again, difficult questions. I, I, that's my job. I ask difficult questions. So in your opinions, and uh, what is Endgame in Elite? What do you think Frontier wanted to be? And has the, in quotes, Endgame changed over time? For example, do you think it's ships? Is it credits? Is it part of Federation rank? Or maybe something less tangible? And if you think it's less tangible, what? 
So I'll give you a few seconds to... <laughs> to be honest, that's my short answer. There isn't one because it's against the philosophy of elite almost. Or at least Braben's philosophy of elite anyway. So do you think Trinity have an end game in mind now? What do you think they... Because I think they have. I Personally, I think it's changed over time. They might do. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to say based upon, you know, the whole azimuth sort of arc and what have you. It's like they might have one, but I don't know how much of this they're making up as they go along or they have actually worked this out in advance because it's very hard to tell because you were saying earlier about Galnet and very little being actually released um, in terms of like in-game, not just like out-of-game stuff and people talking on streams and what have you. But it's it's that sort of the narrative in the game alone is actually relatively straightforward and there isn't like a huge amount of like data to go on. You see what I mean? So it's like it could go either way, to be honest. See, I, see, I think the end game has changed because when when Elite Dangerous first came out, certainly in my perception, the end game was well. People lusted after anacondas because it was the most expensive, and in some ways, people still do go after ships. But end game was the pilot federation rank of an elite. Simply, well, I won't go into the the whys and wherefores of Elite Five because I think people fed up me ranting about it. But basically, in in the original Elite, I would say end game was to hit elite pilot federation rank. That was when you completed the game in my mind. So early Elite Dangerous, that was end game. But um, using the example of, uh, of my son, when he played Elite, he instantly wanted credits and bigger ships. And for him, that was end game. So I'm just wondering where people are, do you think, in that story? I think people have different motivations. One, one of the things I think is has always been true about Elite, if you're not having fun in a Cobra Mark three, you're never going to have fun. Um, whether you get the anaconda or not is immaterial. If you're having fun in the Cobra Mark III, then it becomes... I mean, most people do want to try out the bigger ships because it's like that. You know, it's like I was saying, you want to try the next level. You want to find out... You want to experience these things. So you tend to do them anyway. But fundamentally, you can do everything in the game in a Cobra Mark III. You can just do it, you know, a bit bigger in an anaconda, essentially. Um, and on the when when it comes to end game and progression with elites, um, the whole triple elite thing, um, I don't know. I always kind of viewed it not as the end, but as almost as the start, because at that point you no longer have to worry about ranks, and you're no longer thinking, well, I need to do, I need to grind a bit more rank today because my you know, I want to get I want to be elite at some point, so I need to go out and do some conflict zones and all this kind of stuff, and I need to leave my fighter pilot behind because he you know he steals some of my elite rating and I'm deadly and it's I mean, if you ever got to elite it takes forever to get from deadly to elite because it's twice was, as much yeah the the way it advances basically you advance quicker if you if you beat ships that are higher rated than you and of course then there's only deadly which is equal to you and elite so there's there are there are fewer there are fewer enemies who will give you lots of uh, lots of elite rating but back in the time when i got triple elite um i actually i i actually wrote I was actually doing the editorial that month for Sagittarius I, and I actually, I actually wrote something about it. Um, 
kind of not as not blow my own trumpet as such but what what i wrote was this and it was like um i just pulled up the document now and it's and what what i said is a common question amongst pilots federation members is why do we do it why do we spend so many hours just flying when a pilots federation member reaches the dizzy heights of elites a question is posed by many is why continue what many non-pilots or ground pounders in the uncharitable vernacular of certain pilots don't understand is that being a pilot isn't something you do it is something you are that's so, a law reason not a yeah it is it is law reason but at the same time when you're planning it because for me you know at least for, for me and my kind of elite dangerous player it's it the whole thing is a flight of fantasy so when you when you get into game whatever you you sort of become i'm yeah i'm no longer uh, I'm, I'm no longer the guy who sits in an office somewhere writing java software i'm now a i'm now a space pilot you know um so you you actually kind of you you almost fall into the you, you take these flights of fancy fancy and you can you can take this attitude with the game so i always took the attitude when i finally got triple elite it wasn't really the end it was more the beginning uh, it was quite similar with exploration elite to be fair but that's just me talking not necessarily triple elite <laughs> so, so crash what's your what do you think is in quotes end game is that is the beautiful thing about Elite, and I think that's what makes me keep coming back to it. I, I kind of mentioned that I've played a lot of games. I like variety. I, I, I play all different genres. I, I like everything equally. I like to, you know, if, if I find something new, I'll give it a go because it's like, oh, this is, this is a whole new experience. And I think that's true for Elite, and is that I can set my own endgame and I can change it on a whim. Uh, and, and it's like, at the moment, my fascination is getting all of the suit upgrades, getting all of the weapon upgrades. It's like, I, you know, I want to see what, what I can get to. Last week, I was intrigued at what these toxic Jolly Ranchers were, were all about, so I went and did it. And that's the thing I love about it, is it's so varied that I, I can just, on a moment's notice, I can go off and I can try something else. And there's so many goals. It's not just that, that one goal for me it's whatever i feel like i want to do at that time it's like yeah that's what i can aim for so coming back round again to the question do you think frontier have the same open i mean of course that they'll officially say it but in their game design there seems to me to be certainly with odyssey the purpose of odyssey from a game wise is engineering and going through the whole materials gathering engineering doing your, your weapons round and round and round and round that for me it seems to be the predominant game loop in odyssey so my suggestion again off the top of my head would be end game odyssey if it is about material about engineering and stuff like that is once you have upgraded all your suits is that what frontier had in mind when they're thinking about um progression or end game i'm being a devil's advocate question <laughs> it, it does feel like that's that's where they were thinking of going with it it's like it, i i do feel like once i've done that with odyssey at least where do i go next like what what part of odyssey is is new and 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 should i go for um so yeah i'm i'm, I'm hoping we get more <laughs> i don't know where they're going to go with it like i said I, we hinted at the idea of on foot guardian weapons that kind of thing would be nice to see 
So, yeah, I mean, hopefully we get some more things. But, yeah, I do feel like with Odyssey at the moment, once you've unlocked all of that on-foot weaponry and, and suits and everything, where do I go? You know, I do feel a bit... I mean, what about the rest of you? We, what about the rest of you guys? I mean, we can say, like, there's the, the fluffy bunny, oh, it's whatever you make it in a very tree-hugging I, way, but they have to have had a progression and end game in mind to have certain decision-making design decisions. Do you broadly agree what Crash was saying about engineering at the moment, and also you, Shannon, was mentioning that it seems to be very engineering-focused right now. I hope it isn't just that, but it does look like that's the day-to-day kind of, you know, what's supposed to fill up people's time. And, yeah, I, I'm just, I hope there was more, but I, we don't know if there's going to be more than that. Interesting. So that kind of leads us on to... Um, the next topic, which is kind of why I think is the nitty gritty of it, is certainly there are two from my reading and studying in, into this over the uh, over the years. Is there's two basic sorts of game progression. There's horizontal progression where the overall, if you like, power level stay the same, but there are other incentives to play. Things like additional modules, skill, or a very powerful one to help people continue play, playing is cosmetics. Because who doesn't want to look like a um, special sparkle fairy and different to everyone else because of X, Y, and Z? So there's a horizontal progression. And then there's a vertical progression, which is more power, better gear, more levels. And people call it a gear treadmill, etc. So what do you like and dislike about both? And what direction do we think Elite is heading in? Is that staying on a horizontal progression system or do you think it's going for power creep hmm. Odyssey looks like it might be power creep but I'm mm. as I say I, I'm it, it's too early to say really because it's like also there's the big question of like how many more updates will Odyssey actually get it's like obviously 14's in the works but beyond that we don't really know yeah. I, I think with that I mean yes we don't really know but the, the, I believe there's indications of the direction they're going because um, when I was writing this question out, again, during Guild Wars 2, but um, I think with vertical progression, more power, better gear, more levels, etc., inherent in that is there's an expectation that you are, um, I don't say pandering, you are catering for the people I call content locusts. Mm-hmm. Now, for my minute, content locust is new content, must rush out, must do it. Oh, I've done it now. Where to next? Oh, I'll go and do this game over there, and I'll come back when there's something new to do. So basically, they exhaust new content very, very quickly, and then move on to a different, a different game. And the but the the antithesis to a content locust uh, is what I would call a content creator. Is they take the sandbox, they muck around with it. They they don't really care about new content as long as they can do new stuff with it um so the the way odyssey seems to be going at the moment with the with the garlics and things like that is it seems to me if they're embarking on a vertical progression system and again certainly from builders experience what happened was uh, a few years ago now arena net which were only about the size of the elite dangerous development team at the time they put new content for Guild Wars 2, and I'm not just talking about your new quests, I'm talking about new maps, new missions, uh, new skills, new armor, new everything, 
every two weeks for a year, they put new stuff out like that because they tried to beat the content locus. And mm. as, a, as a studio, it exhausted them. And the players still weren't grateful for them doing it. Players are never grateful. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was going to say, there's, there's one constant that you can bet on is that someone is going to whine. Yeah, that's fair. And they're going to whine loudly, whatever you do. I mean, the people whining about the, uh, the, the, the whole aftermath event, which I thought was pretty good myself. But, you know, it's, it's like that Pete, somebody's always going to be unsatisfied about it because it didn't quite meet their expectations or whatever or you know um, yeah so what do you think about the uh the um the progression system like, again this is this is my this is my particular soapbox so please forgive I me listener. Think you're always gonna get the, the whole vertical thing you talk about has been a quintessential feature of the elite franchise since it started there was always the you know even you know go back to the 8-bit days you had uh but military lasers were all the top they didn't introduce super duper military lasers they and uh, that's what engineering did is it started yeah. a it started a power creep which yeah I don't know. I don't know whether that's necessarily specifically the engineers which were the problem there. I think it's the fact that we've gone from something which was a single-player game, which was golden and a point, and that was it. But we've now gone to an MMO with constant updates. So you're going to get that regardless. I I would slightly disagree with that. I don't think it's inevitable because uh, again, drink up. But one of the features I really liked when talking about earlier in Guild Wars One is you got as much power as you were ever going to get. And by power, I mean uh, skill about uh, how much damage you can do, how much damage you can absorb, mitigate, call it what you like. You, you reach that maximum two-thirds of the way through the single players, through the, through the main storyline. It, it doesn't matter if you spent a million credits, a million gold on a set of armor, or a thousand gold on a set of armor, at that maximum level, the amount of protection you got was exactly the same. There was no power creep, and the, and the, the differentiator was how you used the skills that were available to you, how well you knew your class, and how well you played it. So, therefore, your effectiveness or what you did was purely down to your skill as a player, not what gear you got. This is this is why I think there should be trade offs in all the. In all, in, in, in you know, in all the engineering things, is because then it would make the game depend more on skill and less on gear. Because if you if you imagine if you imagine the situation where the A-rated ship was the most powerful balanced ship build you could build, and all engineering was optimizing either you know one way or or the other. So the ship wouldn't be overall better; it would just be better at one thing, but now worse at another thing. So you you had to make you'd have to make it up with skill, and I I think that if we'd gone there, unfortunately, it's too late now. But if we'd gone down that route, it, we could have avoided a lot of the the power creep. And I I think there's actually been some this whole thing with the the aftermath and the nerfing of. Uh, of guardian weapons when you drop into hip whatever it is hip long number um it, i i think there might be some tacit admission that there's been a bit too much power creep and perhaps the targets were getting a little bit too easy to to bump off so 
um, maybe some of this some of this part of the narrative is is certainly addressing it in, in the anti Xeno sphere, but yeah. See, I'm not sure about that. I think I was telling Crash a scream uh, last last week. You know, you can just imagine a meeting between the Thargoid Queen and uh, and a drone after the Proteus wave. Is uh, my, my my Queen? We have fueled, we have um, foiled the humans' attempt to exterminate us. The, the Queen goes. So all 400 billion star systems are ours. And the drone goes, actually, just the one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I can completely understand from a mindset point of view why they didn't just nerf, you know, why the HRP effect didn't spread everywhere. But I, I don't think it's going to reset back and negate them because there's a people who put an awful lot of time and effort into getting these weapons. Of yeah, I think it, it gives you, if you want that additional challenge, it gives you a location you can go to to get it, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I just wondered what people's views were on the on on the different thing. Pers- my personal view, as you've no doubt picked up, is I dislike vertical progression because it's just like a never-ending arms race between people who consume content really quickly and go, I want to do something else now. And the developer who then has to think of new things, new balancing. It just becomes a, a cycle that never really ends. And the only way really not to jump on that particular cycle is to not get involved in it. And again, we are where we are, but I, I just wish that's kept at the horizontal level that early elite had. I think we'd I, all I, agree, definitely, that as you were saying then, we'd all been saying that it would be nice to have more sort of skill orientated sort of elements of the game. There are some, but not enough really. But yeah, props to you for saying that as well. Um, so just moving on, because I'm getting moaned at the time, apparently. Um, so we talked about balance. And stuff. Does it actually really matter, particularly in PvE? I mean, who, who really cares if you can kill a ship in two shots or it takes you 50? Does anyone, does it matter? In PVE, and, and do we think? And do we think the meta? You know, I'm talking about your optimum Fertile Lance build, your optimum what, Anaconda jump, jump Anaconda build that you just copy from Wiki without really understanding. You just do it. Do you think that hurts or benefits the gameplay? Because in a way, you don't have to think. You just copy, and then you get the same benefits as the people who thought of it. You know, is that is that important? Is is a meta a great equalizer? You're always gonna, you're always gonna get meta. You can't, you really can't avoid it. Yeah. To be honest, and they did, they did try and avoid it by randomizing somewhat the effects. But the trouble is, then you get the min maxes who will just keep bashing the, the, you know, pulling the lever till they get the effect they, they want anyway. So the meta wins out in the end. So yeah, you, the, the, the only way really to avoid the meta is to make sure that they're a multiple viable builds or progressions or gear loadouts or whatever that suits particular play styles so i mean a lot of games have done this in in the past you know i, I used to play this uh, one the return to castle wolfenstein the enemy territory game and you had several it's like a lot of games like that you had several classes so you you know some so people who were perhaps not quite as good at the combat they could choose the engineer role and do the you know well the people who are the good combatiers could be the soldiers and cover them while they blow up the bridge or whatever and then you had uh, the medic so you you, you had a, a support role like that would you know for for healing your team you could have other things you could you could um you you could certainly make uh, 
many different roles viable, say, within Elite Dangerous. So you 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 wouldn't end up just sort of focusing on it on one particular meta build that's good for everything. You you do it. You you build your ship for your place, your preferred play style. Uh, you do get that a bit um, anyway. Um, for instance, if you you can use you can certainly use engineering. If you if you if you if you're not Camberteer but you like doing CGs and you want to do them in open, you can certainly use engineering to make yourself a very strong trade ship, which will resist the best attempts of gankers. Uh, I know because I've done it. I quite I quite enjoy doing CGs in open. I I take my heavily armoured, heavily shielded Imperial Cutter and uh, fart in the general direction of the gankers whenever they, they interdict me. And in fact, what I usually do is I fit um, I, I fit the Grom Bombs to my ship, so I Grom Bomb them and low wake out. It's it's an it's, it's, it's enormous amounts of fun. What, what do you think about the meta? Um, Yannick, do you, do you think the meta doesn't really matter or...? Um, it's kind of similar to what uh, Mac was just saying, so I don't think you can really avoid it just because of human nature, really. But yeah, it's uh, it's just to what extent do you allow it to be sort of customised or what kind of method do you use if you want to go down an engineering route? Because obviously pre-engineering, you could get A-class everything and that was about as good as it got, And but that was very modular based, isn't it? So, I mean, I, I don't mind a certain amount of engineering. It just really depends on the exact way they went to, to good go about it. I mean, I think some people actually prefer the earlier engineering to the present one because of the weird kind of randomness you got sometimes, like these almost off the scale kind of weapons or shields or whatever. But you know, some I'm, I'm I'm in kind of two minds about that really. I mean, that does sort of remind me of um, of some other game, and again, this is this is a thing that it shows Frontier's approach or. Less, I'll say, suboptimal approach. I think in the way they've gone about things. Not a criticism directly, but it's an example. Is in other games when there's been a meta for PVE, like I mentioned, the 55 month. What what they do is they say, well, people are using this skill a lot. They're using this build a lot. It's making it too easy. We'll change the skill set. We'll change the ability of the of the foes in that area to counter that meta to make them think again. So they basically force a, a different way of thinking by changing the changing the uh, what the enemies can do that you're up against. And I, I haven't seen Frontier do that. For example, they don't run PVE builds in PVE, um, which I think is a mistake because then when you're in when you're interdicted by a PVE pirate, you at least know what will happen if it's a PVP and they interdict you. If you see what I mean. But anyway, I'm getting moaned at for um, we're running out of time. That so, <laughs> so uh, just go around the table again and just sort of um, get your thoughts on where we are, where we're going to go. Do you think is it too late to change things, or do you think they are up for shaking things up a bit? It's probably not too late to change things, but if they were, it would have to be fairly dramatic and fairly rapidly but i suspect they won't do that because there's always going to be blowback from some sections of the community no matter what we what you do as we've kind of alluded to earlier so yeah i mean not too late but you know running out of time if you want to do anything dramatic crash what do you reckon i, I think we're probably going to see them tweak a few gameplay things for sure um 
but yeah, I, I'm I'm on of the illusion now that they're they're probably not going to drastically change things. I think they're too afraid to change a lot of things which have now become ingrained so much, um, which is a shame. But um, roll on, elite deadly, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, yeah, Yannick. Yeah, it's uh, I, funny enough. You actually mentioned the Elite Five. Is like in some ways, I kind of wish they had built a new Elite rather than do Odyssey. But that's just my own sort of personal view of it. Don't we? I, I don't hate Odyssey. I'm just a little bit disappointed by the way it sort of worked itself out. But yeah, that's just my five cents. Okay, so uh, we'll quickly skip through the rest of the show notes. Thank you for your time, by the way. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation, and I hope, um, dear listener, you wake up soon. Um, so anyway, Community Corner and Motion Clues, we're skipping those this week. Um, haven't got time for that, apparently, So, and we didn't have, so... But, but, but before we go, don't forget the Mischief Mile rebooted the latest installation of the Buckyball Racing Club's Magic 8-Ball Championship Race 7. It goes from August the 27th to the 4th of September. And Passage to Andromeda starts September the 18th if you wish to join us. Excellent. We'll send both of those on so they'll be in the shout-outs as well. Um, so in today's episode of the Deck Legacy, it was unfortunately the last of the currency series. So uh, there's more information available, including all the episodes, interviews, and, and bonus materials. Go to thedexlegacy.com. So you'll be able to catch up there. Uh, an Orbital Radio broadcasts on Thursdays from, 20, from uh, half past eight. And you can tune in on uh, twitch.tv slash Hutton Orbital Truckers. And, uh, well, we, we know the CQC one because Colin says the same phrase each week. So we'll jump that one because I'm really out of time. Uh, we're giving a shout out to the following Elite Dangerous podcasts, which have appeared over the last year. Uh, so we give a shout out to the Flight Assist, the Guard Frequency, who also cover other space games, and the Loose Screws. And uh, I think we have a Galnet News Digest, as provided provided by Commander Wallerspoon uh, and his overlord, Commander Beetlejuice. And uh, thanks to those who chipped in uh, in chat, and thanks to the thanks to the guests for coming on the show, and and special thanks to Tokuso, uh, Jay Antrax, and Alan Strat, who created the music on the on the show. So thank you very much. And that's it for another episode of Lave Radio. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, then you can email us at info at laveradio.com. Check us out on facebook.com slash laveradio. Guys, there's a lot of ways to get in contact with us. Uh, Tweet us on uh, at laveradio, or you can join our Discord server by going to discord.io slash laveradio. And we also have a TeamSpeak server, which people can join in. And so please get in touch if you have any questions or if there's anything you'd like to discuss on a future episode. So thanks to Crash, thanks to Yannick, uh, thanks, to, thanks to me for taking <laughs> over the studio. Uh, and, uh, and, and thank you to our tech specialist who uh, works really hard behind the background. So until next time, commanders, fly safe. And if you can't do that, take a video if you're blowing up because I want to laugh. Good night. Is your life like this? Someone's having an orange insert. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
News Digest, 23rd of August, 3308. We read the news so you don't have to. In this week's news, are the Thargoids calling their mother? The Federation remembers those who died. Sirius will be building at least one new megaship for the Alliance, and Ramtar and Professor Palin are still paying good money for unclassified relics. It's now two weeks since the Thargoids somehow managed to turn the Proteus wave that was intended to defeat them back on humanity, to power down humanity's spaceships, to disable the weapons and modules we created using Guardian technology. But there's another mystery about the events in HIP 22460. Many of those present in HIP 22460 claim to have heard a roar far louder and more powerful than any previous Thargoid roar. The sound was described as ghastly, overwhelming, monstrous, screeching through our skulls. Some people say no recordings were made of this unearthly sound, but those people clearly haven't powered up their ship recently. Because if you're patient and watch the video replay of the victory of the Thargoids, the sound plays every time. Some have suggested it may have been a roar of triumph. Others believe it may simply be the natural resonance of the second green electromagnetic pulse that came from the Thargoid device on planet 10b. Some Slightly potty individuals believe that it may be a call for assistance by the Thargoids in HIP 22460, a bit like calling for help from their mother, and that we should be prepared for mother to come calling. 
Azimuth Biotech is doing all it can to put some distance between its megaships and HIP 22460, with the glorious prospect preparing to depart for LHS 167, close to the permit-locked Mbuni system, and the Musashi heading to Titori. The Sirius Corporation beat a hasty retreat to the Alliance system of Arimpox last week. The Federation, Empire and Alliance are refusing to talk about what happened in HIP 22460, as though there's something secret about it all. Those who claim the noise was some sort of attempt to make contact back up their claim by saying, if you play the sound at three times normal speed, you can clearly hear the word hello. <laughs> and if you play it backwards, they say, it sounds just like Stairway to Heaven. It's now two weeks since the Thargoids somehow managed to turn the Proteus wave that was intended to defeat them back on humanity, to power down humanity's spaceships, to disable the weapons and modules we created using Guardian technology. Logs are still being found in the wreckage that highlight the human side of the tragedy. Today's log is a recording of a fragment of a conversation between Nia Hurst and an anonymous friend on board the Heart of Taurus, and it demonstrates that not everyone working for salvation was comfortable about the revelations about his past. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying, but Halron has to know, right? About Azimuth? About Azimuth and these things it's accused of, like sabotaging the Alexandria. That's never been proven. Sure, but I heard these logs. It's mentioned the witch. And if they're right, and salvation is... Who's they? Have you been listening to Aegis propaganda? I'm not saying Aegis is right, but there's just questions is all. Just let it go, Naya. This isn't the time. I guess. I just hope we're doing the right thing. Shadow President Winters seems to have sought to score political points on what was intended as a day of federal unity and remembrance of federal citizens who'd lost their lives in HIP 22460. President Hudson had declared the 22nd of August as a day of remembrance for the 50,000 crew members lost aboard the Farragut battlecruisers Fortitude, Varian Scott and Bombardier. Describing the 9th of August as a dark day in federal history, he insisted that the defenceless crew of the three disabled battlecruisers had died with dignity and honour and said that their memory and the memory of every citizen who died in HIP 22460 would be remembered until the twilight of the Federation. And without giving any practical details about how this might be carried out, he vowed revenge against the unrelenting hostility of the Thargoid species on behalf of everyone that died. Shadow President Winters, while supporting the commemorative event, said that it was at least partly the Federal Navy's fault that things had gone so badly. Had the President not backed salvation so unquestioningly, she suggested Salvation may not have been able to let off his Proteus wave bomb, which gave the Thargoids the means of slaughtering everyone in HIP 22460, and with a fair portion of the Federal Navy lost in HIP 22460, the Proteus wave a dud, and Guardian weaponry rendered useless. Winters declared the Federation a sitting duck should the Thargoids press their advantage and invade the Federation. 
There will be at least one dockable megaship built by Sirius to protect the Alliance from Thargoids. And that's all because of the materials brought to the Chariot of Rhea in Leasty by independent pilots. There's some concern in Alliance circles that Sirius may not have the best interests of the Alliance at heart, but one or two not terribly effective new megaships are likely to be more effective than no new megaships at all. In other news, Professor Palin has described the name Unclassified Relics as a temporary title for the newly discovered objects. He explained that a molecular realignment inside the crystals means that they're emitting Guardian and Thargoid energy signatures simultaneously. Ramtar added that this synthesis of Guardian and Thargoid technology is an exciting development full of possibilities. The two engineers have embarked on a joint research programme that may be of vital importance. They thanked Commanders Hurix and Demlagor for delivering the first samples and stressed that they're keen to buy more of these artefacts, which can be synthesised from Guardian relics inside Thargoid structures. And that's this week's Galnet News. Galnet News. We read the news so you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs>